Welcome to Listen, Learn, and Lead, our series of interviews with extraordinary leaders here at Naval Post Graduate School. Today, I have the pleasure and privilege and honor of interviewing Dr. Raluca Jera, a professor of mathematics with a dual appointment in space systems. She was also selected to serve as the first associate provost for graduate education here. And in this capacity, she founded and serves as the director of our teaching and learning commons. Dr. Jira, welcome to this interview. Thank you, President. Would you please give us a sense, first of all, of you and of your journey that brought you here to NPS? Absolutely, my pleasure. And thank you again for having me here. It's a pleasure and an honor to be in this uh, interview. I, um, I grew up in Romania through all my, my school years, and then I moved to Michigan uh, for my college degree. I got my undergraduate, master's, and PhD from Western Michigan. And in that adventure, I've learned of the different ways of learning as a student compared to the way I grew up in Romania. I was very much used to an educator in front of the classroom and students sitting down asking questions and engaging in conversations. But then when I got to Western Michigan, I discovered the think, pair, share. I discovered group work that brings interaction where it's uh, that, that exchange of ideas and opinions that, that make you really understand better of how um, you collaborate with others, how you work with others, think we take, things we take for granted in this environment, in today's environment, especially as, as adults. But for me, it was such a different experience in the classroom compared to the one in Romania. Especially, I still remember when we would work at Think, Pair, Share, and I had to share my idea with somebody else that was not the instructor. I'm like, you know, I'm going to explain, but what do they know? And when they explain to me, I'm not the authority in the class because that's the way, the mindset, that's the way I, was, I grew up. Uh, something also that happened at Western Michigan that was wonderful was I met um, an amazing army officer, Michelle Eisenhower, and she introduced me to even a newer technique for me, which was flipped classroom. And I was even more intrigued uh, to learn other ways of interacting with the content, with the faculty as, as a learner. But more than that, she introduced me to the military environment. She talked about West Point, she talked about what it's like to be a student and faculty, and then when the NPS advertisement came out, it caught my attention right away. What a great story. So bo both from the point of view of your cultural experiences from Romania to the United States and how that translates into different ways of learning, but also the, uh, the fact that you then also learned about the military and how we learn and how we do things. What was it that was distinctive about that? the learning inside the military culture that captured your imagination and your passion? It was actually the involvement, the way, so Michelle talked about Thayer Method that they use at West Point and the way they involve the students and how they give power to the students, right? They learn in advance and they come to classroom and they present to the classroom, they collaborate, right? So it puts more emphasis on that experiential type of learning where they are in front of a classroom having to explain it to others. That to, that to me was very unique. So what you brought here was actually a national standing of your own right. You became very interested in network science, and in 2014, you developed the first certificate in network science in, in the United States. Uh, what more about that? What is the history behind that? 
Yeah, so something that I've <clears throat> discovered throughout my time of teaching is that I tend to draw a map on the board every time. Here is a concept you learned, another concept, how they connect, and today you're going to learn this, and here is how it connects, right? So I end up drawing a mind map of the concept. And I thought, well, you know, the textbooks don't really do that. They give you a summary of all the concepts, right, when you open a textbook. Or even when you use our LMS, it's always a very linear textbook. So I thought if we can bring that to the students where they can see the connections, then they can better understand and grasp and connect them to the knowledge they already have. So chunk learning, network science, all of them, they, they all give you this network view of the concepts, right? So network science in particular, besides connecting the concepts, it also gives more applicability, right? I've been teaching graph theory at NPS since 2005, but when Professor Carlos Borges mentioned network science, I said, well, I'll look into it. How much different can it be? So I've learned about it, right, in a, another experiential learning. And then I brought it to the students because it navelized more what the graph theory presented that was a lot more theoretical before, right? It, it allowed me to bring in applications that speak to the students. I introduced this personalized homework, right, where every student brings to the classroom a data set I teach them concepts and they apply it to that data set. So then they, they get to drive the questions they want to ask because they have an interest in the data set. Whether the data set is something they study for their thesis or something that they have a personal interest in, like, like their maybe personal network, like a social network, like their LinkedIn network. So I, I shifted from giving everybody the exact same homework with here is your data set, here are the questions, and allowing them to explore it and find the why behind the what. So this is fascinating. So you talked about navelizing yeah. the work and about the application of the work. Tell me how you think that is distinctive here at Naval Post Graduate School. We have officers that have amazing backgrounds. So what I've learned throughout the time is how to bring those into the classroom. I used to, in the beginning, I used to just be the only authority in the class, the only one speaking. But in, in time, I learned how to bring their voices. And they helped me navelize it. They helped me bring applications. So when I talk about the applications of a concept, they have more than one choice. Some of them apply to their particular field, and they're helping me build those contents, whether it's a PDF or a video or a PowerPoint, that then we can share with the rest of the, the, the class and with the incoming classes as well. So it's not just static with that classroom. So it creates this collaborative effort where we all create content, and I bring in the, the part that I know, the network science, they bring in the applications, and it produces this wonderful environment where, where we all learn from each other. I, I really recognize very early that it's fantastic how much I learn from my students, maybe just as much as they learn from me, just on different topics. What a fascinating dynamic and what an exciting space then you have created. You're, you are a math teacher, you, are, you have your PhD in mathematics, uh, and yet you talk about concepts, about the notion of a network and ideas. How do you bring all those things together so that people really understand how math can be applied to concepts and concepts to math, and then how you take that theory to application? That's really uh, an art form and a skill set for a good math teacher. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. So math is a universal language, right? And, and so is the network science, because what we're doing is we're connecting and we're showing the applicability but just like statistics, right, it, it, the data set can come from any field. It's the 
the tools that we teach to our students, and then they can apply them to their own field. The same thing with the network science. When I teach them network science, I teach them how to identify who's critical in the network, who's central, right? But all these tools, they're just tools. They can be applied to any interest that students have. So again, by letting them bring their network set, they get to see this uh, universal approach to, to the analysis. And again, by involving them, asking them to ask the questions, the tools just say, here, this is the answer, but why is that the answer, right? When you have an understanding of the data that you're applying it to, then you actually find that why behind the what. And I think that's what leads to that critical thinking that you need in the advanced graduate level classes. So this might be an uncomfortable question to ask, but to answer actually, but here you are, you have received many awards here at NPS and nationally. You're the only professor in mathematics to have uh, earned the Hamming Award in teaching and advising. You talk about the classroom experience being this extraordinarily dynamic place, a very, a very democratic place for a mathematician to be teaching and learning in. All of these awards are meaning that you have distinguished yourself separate from your colleagues in the country and in the world. What do you think about your uh, approach to mathematics and to concepts and network that is different and is leading in so many ways? I think it's it's bringing the open mind and co-creating with, with the students. We, again, the students we have are allowing that to happen. So I think having that open mind where it's not just me being the author authoritative person in the classroom allows me to have that co-creation, to go beyond the classroom to um, engage with students even after they graduate as well, uh, to be part of, of a larger community. I bring students to conferences. When we go to conferences, right? we work together on the research, I let them present to the class, and then I bring them to conferences so they get a feel and a taste of what it's like outside of that safe environment of the classroom. So, I mean, you have uh, been the recipient of the Hamming Award for Teaching Advising, of Applied Mathematics um, Teaching Department Award, of the GC's Merit Award. Uh, you have had sabbaticals. You have received funding from various organizations. But it looks to me like one of your most extraordinary projects of passion is your community service in mathematics. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, so I am very passionate in introducing students and faculty. So as I progressed through my career and I became more senior, I wanted to serve back to the community and, and have others, allow others to have similar experience with the one I have. So I, I've been uh, leading conferences, sessions in conferences. I've been creating brand new conferences as well as uh, organizations, right, that bring in the younger faculty, that allow the younger faculty to collaborate with the um, more established one, the senior faculty. And, and that is what I think it's part of us as we become more senior professors, right, um, paying attention to the younger ones and, and helping them grow. Somebody did that for me when I was a baby in the yeah. math department. So I, I thought it was fantastic. Well, tell me about the um, co-foundership that you have with Northern California, Nevada, Hawaii, and the whole NEXT program. Yes. So that, that's uh, something we created for uh, Northern California. Um, every single um, state has one of those, and California didn't have one at the time. So this is for the math faculty. As soon as they finish their PhD, right, they can enroll in a program. And it allows us to uh, create or, um, 
conferences at the regional level where everyone that's in that region can come together and attend a conference. And again, it's, it's all that collaboration. It's yeah. introducing, learning who you are. I remember my time when I finished my PhD and I came to NPS and it's like I, I broke my ties, right? It's like I'm no longer yeah. somebody's advisee. Right yeah. now I'm in charge and I was like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to find problems. I don't know how to solve problems. How do I find collaborators? Who do I reach out to? So it was a little panic for me at the time and then I figured out ways. So by creating that collaboration, it allows everybody to have a, an easier transition into a new role. And this group is called NEXT, that stands for? The Network Education for Teaching. So if I went online, I could find that yes. program, the Network for the Experience in Teaching Mathematics? Correct. Great. So give us some stories about students. So you are, you're passionate about students, you have this enormously collaborative environment. Give us a couple of student stories. Sure. Um, so I, for example, I love bringing students to the board, right? I, I have them do presentations and I ask them to engage with the classroom, right? Where I actually take a seat back in the back of the room and I let them ask each other questions and answer questions, right? And it's, it's wonderful to see how sometimes they start mimicking the way I answer questions, I ask questions <laughs> to them, right? So, you know, just like you see a little child mimicking the mother, of course, and that's, that's how they, they learn. Uh, but I remember, you know, the first time I took students to conferences, right? They, here I have leaders in my classroom, yeah. right? And, and then you put them in this new environment, you teach them how to talk about science, how to prove things, how to create a PowerPoint on science. And then you invite them to a conference and they're like, well, I don't know about that, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a bunch of PhD together that have been doing this for a while. And I say, you know what? You're just as good because you're learning and you have other experiences behind you that will distinguish you even better. So bringing them to conferences and watching them grow, right? You know, in the 20 minutes they give a presentation, they start a little shy and then the, the powerful presence they have by the end of the talk and how they handle the questions. I always tell them, I'm here if you need me to take the questions, but you've got it, you can do it. And, and to see that growth in students in a field that's outside of their comfort zone, I think that's inspirational. Well, it's also a great way to build capacity as leaders, is that they're in those new environments and they're leading and they're having a, 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 a leadership moment of their voice and of their thinking. Absolutely. Talk about the teaching and learning commons a little bit here. That's how you and I first met was in the TLC environment and I was so impressed with what you have been doing with that and you've been so good at this and you have been heroic uh, during COVID which, which we will talk about in a moment but tell us a lot a uh, bit about the TLC. Yeah, so the teaching and learning commons was identified through the strategic plan through a lot of the collaborative efforts on campus from faculty, staff and students of of an, a need that we should bring to the campus. It was called the Teaching and Learning Studio at the time, then we grew to a commons. And it was creating a collaborative environment where students, faculty, and staff can come together and support each other, learn from each other. Um, I mentioned to you when I came at NPS in the beginning, I, I was trying to learn from others, right? So I sat in other professors' classes so I can see how they teach, how they interact with the students, right? Because it's a different culture at NPS rather than Western Michigan where I was at. But I wanted even more than that. I wanted to learn from other departments because we have amazing faculty at MPS. They're world known for their research, for their teaching. So how can I engage with them? And there was no existing mechanism for that. So the teaching and learning commons brings us out of our silos so we can work together. And we did so by 
identifying strengths, identifying success, and promoting that. We had a series called um, How Do We Best Teach, Learn, and Advise? And we heard from faculty, from students, and from uh, staff how they best teach, learn, and advise. Mm -hmm. So we promoted that success. We, we still have it on our TLC website. But also then we said, now what are your challenges? And what are your challenges that have solutions, right? So we created the mini grant programs where it said, okay, tell us a challenge, tell us how you think you'd solve it. We support you financially. We have the TLC, a bunch of, of uh, special of SMEs in that area that can support you in finding a solution. So that's how we got them more together, talking and supporting each other. But then we realized that while this is wonderful, in order for us to grow and have a bigger impact at NPS, we enlarged where the TLC was not just under my office, the Associate Provost for Grad Ed, but we started working collaboratively with everybody else that was supporting teaching, namely the library and ITACs. So once this collaboration got established, it taught us how to work together, what are our strengths and weaknesses in how we support faculty, and that prepared us very well, like you said, for COVID. So now you have used the word COVID, and I have too. I will tell you is that um, the transition of our faculty and our students uh, on, on, the, on the edge of the COVID crisis and of the pandemic was extraordinary. And you were a part of that extraordinary success, uh, bringing on board teachers and students to understand how to learn from distance learning, how, how to use the platforms and the vehicles. You made sure that the faculty was being taught and that the students were being served. Uh, you, you have been a major difference in our success during COVID universally recognized through your passions and your time and lots of lessons learned and analyses. How would you describe what happened here during COVID in the learning and educational experience, which has really been extraordinary, again, in large part because of you? How would you describe this experience? Thank you, and thank you for all the kind words. Um, it was a team effort, of course, and that's what got it to be so impactful. What we've learned is that uh, together we can make a bigger difference, right? So when, when we got together in trying to understand how to best support the faculty and the students with this mindset of a learning uh, support in mind, right? How do we learn from each other? How can, how can faculty learn not only from us, but from each other? And I think that was the success. Yeah. The success was, yes, we had our SMEs and we had workshops where we taught people how to use you know, Teams and Zoom and so on. But the success came from having faculty speak of their experience, whether it was in the past, experienced faculty that taught DL, but also brand new faculty that said, this is my first time teaching in this environment, and here is what I learned. So we had faculty voices on the website where we can, uh, anyone can watch videos or PowerPoints with takeaways from faculty that taught for the first time in that environment. So faculty supported faculty. Then we also had the series where faculty presented to other faculty of best practices, right? And, and again, we wanted to support the faculty from all the environments, listening to their peers, listening to someone that's in the classroom gives you one perspective other than listening to the SMEs that say, this is how you should use technology, this is how you should use pedagogy. And I think that combination was the success. Well, I must tell you as the president here, I was stunned by how the faculty collaborated rather than competed. Uh, and that no person was an island out there 
by themselves. The faculty collaboration on this was extraordinary, and in my mind, almost without precedence. Uh, and a lot of that is a kind of tone that you set, but also the tools that you were able to provide. I think it all goes back to that experience from Romania to the United States or to learning about the military is that you understood that people need to be learning from each other and that they all have their own cultural languages. And, and so you were bringing uh, to the same place our faculty that deal with ocean sciences and with space sciences and with strategic sciences and bringing them together in a collaborative environment that was, in my mind, an extraordinary example of peer leadership. It was really uh, quite, quite well done, and I want to applaud you. If I you may add to that, I that. think something that really set us up for success was the fact that we learned all of this with an open mind, but because we've done this department visits, so TLC does department visits twice a year, uh, yeah. and we go and we visit with every department, and we do the same thing. Yeah. We, we tell them a little bit of what we're doing so they see what we can support them with. But for the rest of the time, we just listen. We tell them, to yeah. tell us what are your challenges, tell us what is your success, and, and that's how they become more comfortable and familiar with us, and then we can take it to other departments and say, did you know that in the math department, in the physics department, they're doing this and this? And, and that was just tremendous because they've already had a relationship with us. They knew yeah. who we were at the time that COVID started. And a lot of this we've learned from listening to them throughout the time. Listening was so important for me in this, in this job, in, in this position. So the listening, learning, and leading. Huh? Absolutely. <laughs> Tell me about, though, so while you were doing this during COVID, you also were still on this track of the, flex, the flexible classroom and trying to understand what the space would be, the physical space would be for learning. What do you know about that and, ha and what, what have you come to understand about that? Flex spaces are reimagining the existing MPS classrooms that have chairs behind rows of bolted down tables and large immobile podiums at the front of the room, setting the stage for students' eyes fixated on the instructors. While well, the standard Naval Postgraduate School classroom, equipped with traditional classroom technology, chalkboards and whiteboards at the front of the room, paired with a screen and overhead projector, is very practical to support conventional teaching-centered learning. It doesn't always work. The design does not cater well to those faculty and students who look to actively engage in student-centered constructivist learning. The NPS teaching and learning landscape is comprised of a diverse faculty and student body, and the objective of the flexible learning experience spaces is to address the full spectrum of needs. These flex spaces were designed to facilitate learning environments that can continuously adapt for the changing needs, such as the changing environment after COVID. These spaces give faculty and students a choice in what kind of teaching and learning spaces work best for them helping them to engage with each other and with instructional content, working collaboratively, and communicating in a way that improves critical thinking for learning. The incorporation of technology was intentional to support pedagogical strategies rather than just bringing technology to the classroom as a new shiny object. So what would you expect to see in a flex space? Well, three ideas. First, mobility and reconfiguration. Wheeled chairs, tables and boards, replacing the large stationary workspaces with smaller tables and desks 
allow furnishing to support a variety of instructional strategies and collaborative configurations. Mobility additionally allows for the creation of open spaces for movement and interaction. The second element, huddle spaces. These spaces offer students an area to engage in both in-class group work as well as out-of-class collaboration. The areas include configurable seating, writing services, displays, and screens sharing capability. The incorporation of this whiteboard capture technology really helps remote learners feel like they're part of the conversation. The combination of AV capabilities in this area allows remote learners to connect and feel like they're part of that conversation. And thirdly, the incorporation of cameras and microphones allow for DL hybrid and high flex in addition to the standard residential learning. So you might wonder, what are the learning technology element requirements? Well, let me also provide three ideas. First, operating system agnostic content sharing capabilities enable, support, and allow students to take ownerships of their learning. Secondly, digital annotations enable real-time and co-creation of content. And thirdly, whiteboard captures allows for displays of information to be persistent over time. So those flexible spaces, right, there were, um, there, we, we had the vision of creating some type of laboratory environments, right? COVID put us in one type of environment yeah. that's a laboratory yeah. experience, but we wanted to actually support it and, and set it up. So we wanted rooms that can scale up and down in technology, rooms that were flexible, that would allow faculty to bring their own personal way of teaching and be inspired by them, right? When, when you walk in a little bit early and you see how the previous class is run, you get inspiration yeah. and you try it out. So it's really just a place where people can come and try and play and, and try different methodologies of teaching and learning. But it, it invites a lot more collaboration, right? Because by having flexible furniture, it allows the students to very quickly move into smaller groups, larger groups, uh, co connect around one of the walls with, where they have a TV or a board. So it's, it's just very, very swift. So the last question is always, I think, an interesting one because it, it brings all of this to, to, to a commonplace, and that's the notion of leadership. We've talked about your leadership, but if I were a student, I would say, Dr. Jera, I really enjoyed your class, but what is your definition of leadership, and how, how do you think, what are your principles about how to lead? Yeah, so for me, leadership is a lot of experiential learning, right? You, I got a PhD, but I was not a professor. I became a professor by professing, by teaching. I became a leader in the, teach, in the classroom, by publishing, right? In, I became a leader in the field. By advising, I learned how to advise and to better do it in time. Same thing in, in this position, right? When I got the associate provost, I became better and better in time. So um, it's all about that experiential learning and then how that helps you grow professionally and personally. And I mentioned to you how students come to our conferences, right, to a math conference. It's experiential learning for them too. But afterwards, right, they grew so much, both professionally and personally, because of the environment they've been in and how they bring that back to themselves and to their future job. And something I've learned from you, ma'am, by sitting in your meetings is that at the end of every meeting you go around and everybody has a voice. 
Right, so I've learned to pace myself and not, not try to necessarily be part of the conversation, but rather listen for the whole conversation, write down the ideas, and when, I come, when you come around the room and I know I have a chance to speak what I have to say, then I can summarize everything. So it's a lot more efficient from that perspective, and I feel I have a voice. So it's that diversity of opinion that you listen for at the end, and then how you include all of us. We know you're gonna listen to us. You have, I'm, I'm gonna have your fully undivided attention when you come to me and you say, Raluca, what's your opinion? So what did I do? I learned and I brought it to my meetings. So I end off all of my meetings the same way and it's made a difference because now everybody feels that they have a time where they're gonna be, their opinion is gonna be included. Well, this has been a pleasure. And again, I just wanna thank you for what you've done during this COVID period. You have made us a success and you are going to be a reason why we can embark upon a new way of looking at ourselves at NPS and, our, and the kinds of things that we do. So you have my expressions of gratitude and appreciation for what you've done to listen, learn, and lead. We want to thank you for listening to this interview. These are the kinds of people that we have here every day doing extraordinary things on this campus at Naval Post graduate school, but around the globe as they teach, as they, as they connect, as they influence, and as they grow. And so it has been a pleasure to have you here today. We look forward to having you here yet again.